eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Big week here in Happy Valley where the 8-0 or 8-1 Nittany Lions take on the 9-0 Michigan Wolverines, of course, that one blemish on the record was in a top 10 matchup in Columbus just a few weeks ago against Ohio State. The Buckeyes remain unbeaten. Michigan now coming to town. A lot more involved for the Wolverines this year than that 9-0 record, of course. We'll talk about some of that here on this episode of the podcast. And Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen join me now. And fellas, a little bit different feel than any time that that we've covered Penn State because we have a Monday press conference. This has been a, a late season change uh, it was uh, an adjustment that was announced last week to us. And in the past, and I don't know how long this may predate James Franklin, Mark, and you can give us some insight on that, but we've always had the Tuesday press conference set up. So we had come to Monday, you know, kind of catching our breath a little bit out of the press game before we look to the next one. So we're going to blend it a bit here. We'll talk about the last matchup uh, against Maryland, a 51-15 victory that we broke down, uh, Daniel and I, in the postgame podcast Saturday evening. But we'll also blend it into what we heard from James Franklin here, on a press conference on, on on Monday now, and that's going to remain the case the rest of the way. So, Mark, history lesson for all of us. How significant is this shakeup uh, moving, us, moving us to Monday? And then give us your big takeaways uh, from College Park, a, a blowout victory for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I'm dating myself. Obviously, people know how uh, ancient and decrepit I am. But uh, when I first started on the beat at the Collegian back in the mid-'80s, they actually did the weekly pre- press conference. And excuse me, we're having some work done here at the house, so I'm down in the uh, in a different area than usual. And if you hear some noise, uh, I apologize for that. Uh, but in the mid-'80s, when I was at the Collegian, they actually did it on Wednesdays at Toft Trees in conjunction with the quarterback club. And Joe Paterno would sit around a conference table with 
maybe eight, maybe 10 or 12 people. And as, as a writer for the collegian, you know, we would get to send one person and it was, you know, you got to do it a couple times a year from the staff. And it was like really kind of an eye opening experience because you're in there with a bunch of veteran reporters, uh, you know, people who back then were younger than I am now. And then uh, I think they realized the need that that wasn't going to quite cut it. So in the late 80s, they changed it to Tuesdays at Beaver Stadium. And it's been Tuesdays at Beaver Stadium until today as we record this uh, Monday. And, you know, James Franklin, I think a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Ohio State game, it got to Tuesday and he was still having to answer questions about the Ohio State game. And, um, you know, he he asked. I mean, I give him credit, too. He didn't just do it arbitrarily. He kind of, He kind of asked. And uh, decided to get this thing out of the way on Monday. So if he has to recap the other game, the, the latest game, uh, he could get that done and then turn turn the focus ahead. The irony, of course, is that there were basically no questions asked about <laughs> about the most recent game <laughs> this week, and everything was w- w- was looking ahead. But to, to answer your question, you know, my my quick takeaways, and I know you guys hashed it out after the game, but. You know, I thought it was really important that they almost acknowledged who they are as a running game, that they didn't try to set up the pass with the run, that they allowed Drew Aller a little bit of freedom and that passing game in general. And it was good that Dante Cephas stepped up and gave them another option. But they were actually, I think, able to use that passing game to set up the running game. And when they needed some tough runs late in the game with, you know, Catron Allen plowing in from, you know, 10 yards out, the last five of those, a rugby scrum. You know, they had tired that Maryland team out to the point. And I think Daniel, was it Daniel or you, Tyler, who kind of anticipated that that might happen, you know, in reference Daniel, back to Daniel last year's that game. Pretty well, yeah. Yeah, and I just think, I think that, that it, it is who they are. I mean, going into the season, I think a lot of us, including me, you know, I was at the front of that line, thought they were going to be able to use a dominating run game to set up the pass. And that just hasn't been the case. So, you know, you were eight games in, and I think they just realized who they are and realized that they're just not going to be able to do it, you know, no matter who the running backs are, however veteran your offensive line is. So do what's going to work. And I give Mike your such a lot of credit. And then one other thing, because I know we have a lot to discuss, but it's so funny because we come out of that game and I have to do the report card. And I'm trying to grade the defense, and I'm thinking, man, this is so hard because how do you grade a defense that gives up 17 straight completions to start the game? And, you know, it's as a fan watching that, you can see people were going ballistic on the boards. They were going ballistic on uh, on social media. But that that's what makes Manny Diaz a terrific defensive coordinator is that he looks at it different differently than, than we all do. Now, I know that there are some some media people who pass themselves off as coaches. They probably know much more about the game than any of us do. But with Manny Diaz, to have that patience and and knowledge and knowing that you're going to keep them in front of you, you're not going to give up the game-breaking play, and eventually Maryland's going to turn into Maryland and start turning the ball over like crazy, that was really good coaching to me. I mean, I, I that's a coach who has confidence in himself and confidence in his players. Obviously, they're not they're not hearing anything during the game, you know, the way we are. But that can't be easy to do because you have Tonga Vailoa picking you apart, and ultimately it didn't matter. I mean, but for the roughing penalty on the punter, 
Maryland may not have scored until the fourth quarter of that game, the way that they were playing. And then on the fourth quarter touchdown, multiple penalties aided that. So I just thought it was a terrific job by Manny Diaz and kind of evidence of how these coaches are operating at a completely different level than any of us really think, at least me. I don't want to speak on behalf of you two guys, but I know that, you know, I'm sitting there watching, I'm thinking, what the hell are they doing? And then ultimately the, the, the results are there. I think maybe someday down the road, Manny Diaz will open up to us about what happened during the Indiana game week prep, but that has been an absolute outlier from everything yeah. they've done since really you go back to, to what the last time they played Michigan. You know, I know they gave up some big splash plays against Ohio State and, and Marvin Harrison Jr. had his moments. I'm talking about last year's game in Beaver Stadium, but even in that game, the defense played pretty well against a guy, you know, you see what CJ Stroud is in the NFL now. They put up a good effort that day. The only the only time they've been run off the field in any kind of fashion has been the trip to Ann Arbor last October since Manny Diaz got here. Usually they're the ones sending the opponent to the halftime locker room needing to catch its breath and, and, and get some Band-Aids and all that. And so they've been the enforcers. They got back to that role. We'll talk about the defense more. We'll talk about that ground game more. But if we're talking confidence and the regaining of momentum and maybe what that could mean moving forward starting this Saturday in Beaver Stadium, noon kickoff, against the, the team that hasn't lost in the regular season since October 2021, you got to go with the quarterback, right, Daniel? You wrote about him in post game. You had a chance to go face-to-face -face with Drew Aller down in College Park, several of his teammates hearing the chatter about what they saw during that week and responding from what the Indiana matchup was, which was responding from what the Ohio State matchup was. And, boy, did Drew Aller deliver a really, really optimistic uh, performance. I mean, if, if you're trying to find something to cling to here – Going into November, you found it in a huge way from number 15. Definitely. I think the word that Olu Fashionu used that really summed it up for Drew Aller was resilient. I think that more important, to me at least, than Drew Aller throwing that first interception was how he was going to look responding to it. We saw him do that in a quick turnaround against Indiana, and then we saw him do it over a more long, drawn-out period when it comes to what he did against Maryland. 25 of 34, 240 yards, four touchdowns, 25 completions is a career high. Uh, the four touchdowns ties his career high. And the, um, uh, what was the other number? Um, 240 yards is the second most of his career. So just a really all around solid performance from Drew Aller. We saw him airing it out a little bit. We saw him putting throws into tight windows, like that touchdown to Tyler Warren. Um, I just thought overall we, we saw the Drew Aller that I think had kind of been promised to us and that we'd only really seen in, in glimpses here and there uh, over the course of the season. Um, you know, Isaiah Williams from Illinois came away with Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week honors this week. I believe he had 13 catches for 120, 130 yards and two touchdowns and a pretty thrilling win for Illinois over Minnesota. thought Drew Aller had a, had a pretty good shot at earning it there. But I think that sometimes the, the game flow plays into those awards a little bit and, and how thrilling things were. And we had a bit of a snoozer once things really got going in College Park. But I think that Drew Aller overall, he showed that poise that we've heard so much about. And I think he really rewarded uh, his coaches and his teammates for really sticking by him, sticking with him and, and giving him these opportunities. So it's going to be a whole different ball game against Michigan, but I think that what we saw on Saturday probably gives us the probably the most optimism, like you said, Tyler, going into a big matchup for, uh, for Aller this year. 
Aller came into the game at Maryland at about 50% completion rate through three starts on the road in Big Ten play. Uh, he was at 74% on this particular Saturday, and he had spent the last couple of matchups here in the conference really in an anxiety-ridden situation. And, and you could see it written on his face. You could see it in the body language on the field, and it was a little different than the Drew Aller we are accustomed to getting to know in the last few years. And he, whatever he found, he found it in a big way, Mark, and, and and to get that performance ahead and not have to say, well, maybe Drew Aller will find it this Saturday. I think that's the biggest thing here. You got a little bit of a cushion. You got a little bit of a buffer where Drew Aller found himself in a significant way down in College Park. And so did this offense in the passing game and chalk it up to whatever you want. If you want to point at Maryland and, and their down, downfall and all that. But to be able to do that, to get it on film and to just feel the confidence that you've gone out and produced it against the Big Ten caliber defense before you face Michigan, I think is huge rather than having to go into Michigan and saying, can we find that spark now? Yeah, we talked about it last week. I mean, uh, one of the real key things wasn't that he threw the interception against Indiana. I mean, people people were still telling me that on Saturday, but it's that, and no, it's the way he responded. It's that, that he came through and, you know, hits the big pass to Keandre Lambert Smith. And after the game, I mean, it was pretty funny because after the, after the Maryland game, he said, yeah, I mean, I felt uh, just after the way that game ended, I felt looser, you know, just a little bit more comfortable. And, you know, you could see that that something happened there. So but then it's funny because then I go over to Olu and then I go over to Keandre Lambert Smith and I said, you know, this is what Drew said. Did you get that sense? And they're, they're both like, no, he was just basically the same Drew that he's always been. So maybe he wasn't projecting it outwardly. But I don't think he says that to us unless it's accurate. I mean, obviously, there was something that he wasn't quite comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And if that's what it took to get him to that next level, so be it. I mean, I, I to, to me, it's just really big. When you see a player going from being an emotional wreck after the Ohio State game, and understandably so, he's an Ohio State, he's an Ohio kid. You know, he didn't feel he played well in that game. He didn't play well. That loss was not on him, though. But he took that very hard, came out and met us, and then he comes out and doesn't play especially well for a lot of the Indiana game. But then when it matters, he got it done. I think that development and that to, 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 to build on that, to see that, that, that two-week span, because that's basically what that was. I mean, you start, it's like 14, 15 days, whatever it is. To, to be able to do that over, over – we saw something special in his development – no matter what we see against Michigan, because I think the fact that he was able to do that. Now, if he's able to parlay that to an even different level against Michigan, uh, so be it. But if he struggles a little bit, I think he's still going to be okay long term because we've seen that this kid could pick himself up, dust himself off and get going. And we have to remember that he's still only a sophomore. So there's still a lot of room for growth there. But I do think it was funny that Olu and and, Le and Keandre Lambert Smith were both like, no, nah, he was he was basically the same guy. We didn't see any difference. And, you know, in the meantime, Aller's like, yeah, I did feel a little looser. Well, look, we, we continue to think of him as a young quarterback and, and you know, the, you know, the sophomore who's ascending and, and he's answering these questions now and, and, and at that at adverse moment. But he's got 19 college appearances now. And if you do the math and you think about who he is as a quarterback and how that position is valued at the pro level, he may not have another 19 or he may just have about another 19 games in a Penn State uniform. That's how ha fast it happens with top quarterback prospects is you're throwing the red shirt off the table. And if he's matching his expectations, you're probably taking a fourth season at this level off the table. So Drew Aller figuring it out here in a key moment. Will that continue against Michigan? 
I mean, this is going to be a revealing moment for his sophomore year and for Penn State overall as a 2023 uh, identity of the program. But what he seemed to be able to lean on more in the last couple of matchups, certainly than Ohio State, was the ground game. And at the forefront of that is Catron Allen. You know, Nick Singleton, back-to-back games, 50-plus yard uh, kickoff return. Nice to see that spark. He's been a, a guy that contributes in the receiving game. That was important against Indiana. But eight carries, 20 yards against Maryland on Saturday. Um, you're still just thinking at this point, if, if Nick Singleton breaks out and looks anything like we saw last year, it's a luxury at this point. You can't afford to think that it's something that is a foundational component of this offense. But what we are seeing is Catron Allen go for five plus yards per tote, it seems. He was at almost seven yards per carry against Maryland following his best performance uh, in conference play of the year against Indiana. So he's stacking games all of a sudden. We haven't seen a lot of stacking of any kind from the Penn State offense in, in terms of playmakers outside of Keandre Lambert-Smith and some tight ends. So what do we make of this, Daniel? And, and how does Jaywan Sider and James Franklin manage the situation where you've got the reigning Big Ten freshman of the year who a year before that was the Gatorade National Player of the Year, and yet he is clearly not the hot hand in a you know a room that is two co-starters. It, it's great timing for Penn State to have Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, or not Keandre Lambert-Smith, Catron Allen kind of come into his own down this stretch. You look at it ahead, Michigan is going to be the most physical game on the schedule. It's it's November in State College. It's November in these in these Big Ten environments. These are kind of the stereotypical grinded out smash mouth kind of football games. And I think that that really plays the Catron Allen strength. We saw what he was able to do in the second half against Maryland. Uh, Theo Johnson said that he felt like Allen had had worn Maryland down a little bit and that pushing him into the end zone was kind of the, the cherry on top there. But you know, we did hear James Franklin asked about his running back situation today. And uh, I think it was prefaced with, we know that they view them as co-starters and that it's a timeshare back there basically, but is there anything that would point you towards oh, going with a, a lead back uh, more or less? And we've seen them go in-game this year in terms of hot hand where things are going. And James Franklin gave the, the very diplomatic answer that this is their plan. They're going to stick to their plan. It, it's something that's worked um, and that they're going to ride the plan um, as, as long as it works. And so I expect that we'll still see a decent amount of Nick Singleton on Saturday against Michigan, but kind of like what we talked about last week with this, the Maryland game being a really good opportunity to use Katron Allen as a tone setter early on. I think that he could play that kind of role against Michigan because he's not going to be afraid to go inside the tackles there. Uh, the, the physicality of the game is something that he can really lean into. And when he's getting those extra two or three or four yards, I mean, it's, it's just so impressive to see his strength uh, that's there and kind of his willingness to stay up and, and not go down. And this is going to be a game where you're going to need every single yard that you can get. And I think that that really lends itself nicely to Katron Allen. And like you said, Tyler, if we see a Nick Singleton breakout, if we see him break off some of those long runs, it's definitely a bonus at this point in the season. Uh, but I, I think Catron Allen showed against Maryland that he can keep this offense on schedule. He can get the yards that Penn State needs, and he can keep that uh, you know mythical balance uh, in in play for Penn State when it comes to how James Franklin wants to do things. 
neither of these guys were taxed with a bunch of carries for, for a lot of conference action early, but Katron Allen now in five Big Ten games this year has gone 50-plus yards. Uh, he goes 80-plus the last couple of weeks. Nick Singleton has only gone to 50-plus yards in conference games this year twice, and, and one of those was hitting 50 right on the head. So some, some disparity there. These guys have gotten a, a lot of evenly distributed work, it feels like. Um, but one thing we've seen really even for them time and time again has been a rotation of starts. And if that history is any indication, we may have to wait a series or two to see Catron Allen against Michigan, just like we had to wait a couple series to see Nick Singleton uh, involved uh, out, in, out in Ohio State, if you recall. That was a Catron Allen start day. Uh, and so right now we're due for a Nick Singleton start. And if we don't see that, then maybe that's a bit of a signal about how they view Catron Allen if he's out there with the first team offense. Just something to watch here for. They've been on that kind of revolving door with the, the co-starter approach. Uh, and and so right now will be Nick Singleton due up in the first first snap against Michigan. Um, fellas, of course, the wide receiver spot is, is the talk of the town right now. And in terms of if you want to think optimistically, if what we saw last Saturday in College Park is, is going to carry over to the remainder of this schedule, all of a sudden you, you think a little bit differently about what the offense can do. Mark, we got a big answer from Dante Cephas. Uh, he apparently loves playing down there in Maryland. He feasted on the Terps uh, with Kent State a couple of years ago, and he did so again. A couple touchdowns, really impressive catches at that from Drew Aller, displaying some of that trust. He got the start. He got a ton of run, um, and now we move forward. Yeah, I think somebody had him as a player to watch. I forget who that was, and uh, he actually, you know, played well. I just got a sense last week in talking to him on Wednesday. That was pretty funny how that worked out too. Yeah, we get to talk to him on Wednesday, and you know, he ends up being a player who does uh, some really good things. I, you know, I go back to to some of the things that I said about Drew Aller. That you know, Cephas was a guy who was given an opportunity earlier in the year when Harrison Wallace was banged up, and he started against Iowa. And he started against Northwestern. And frankly, he just didn't get it done. I mean, he had, I forget what the number of targets were, but he only had three catches for a total of 30 yards in those 30 some yards in those two games. And I like the fact that when we talked to him last Wednesday, he's like, yeah, you know, I just paraphrasing, you know, he, he just, he realized he just had to stay patient that he's playing at a different level week in and week out. You know, obviously when he was at, when he was at Kent state, he was able to play against, uh, Big Ten opponents, you know, here or there, or, or major college opponents here or there. Uh, but doing it week in and week out maybe is a little bit different thing. And to his credit, he stayed patient. And they gave him another opportunity, and he made the most of it. And and I think that was, you know, I asked James Franklin about it afterward. I said, how big is it for the, the team and how big is it for him? Because I do think it's really big for him. I mean, this is a guy who's proven that he can do it against this level of competition. And, it, I mean, we have no idea how long Harrison Wallace is going to be out. It sure didn't look good with his arm in a sling coming out of the Indiana game. Uh, but even when he was playing, he didn't look quite right, you know, after those first couple games. So, so to have Cephas, again, everything hasn't come easy. But he's kept grinding, and, and for him to be rewarded – I think that's just a good sign for him and everybody else in the program that, listen, maybe you're not getting the opportunities you hope, but you don't, never know when your number is going to be called. And this time his number was called and and he did really well. I mean, that first touchdown catch was unbelievable. And his second touchdown catch was tremendous as well. But overall, I mean, he comes out of that game with what did what did he have? Yeah, six catches for 53 yards. I mean, that is a legitimate, you know, number two uh, receiver, the kind of things that those type of players do that do, 
And to have him to, to be able to take some of that pressure off Keandre Lambert-Smith into two tight ends, the three tight ends, I guess I should say at this point, uh, is big. It's 25 more yards than he had at any other point uh, in the season. It's four more catches than any other game uh, thus far, and he was involved out there uh, each week. Now, when you when you look at the rundown of, of how wide receivers were utilized, and it's something that we've been curious about week to week, um, you saw a ton of Cephas and Keandre Lambert-Smith. They were both right around 55 snaps or so. No one else got to 20 snaps, but it was a group effort. Everyone else who was involved out there, and part of that is you got a lopsided scoreboard. You can afford to get more guys involved, but I think there was probably some motivation for Marcus Hagens all the way up to James Franklin to get a bit of a longer look at this group after we saw hardly anyone against Indiana and, and almost no one involved until very late against Ohio State. You had Malik McLean again, Omari Evans surfacing, caught his first pass from Drew Aller in game action since 2022. Liam Clifford got back on the field after not playing against Indiana. So did Caden Saunders, and you saw a little bit of work from Malik Mega. But against Michigan, much like we said against Ohio State, Daniel, it feels like you're going to have to have a tightened-up approach, stick with guys. So it's going to be probably tap out for both Keandre Lambert-Smith and Dante Cephas building off his breakout performance and then we'll see who else gets involved, who they might want to maneuver. Counter Lambert-Smith capable of playing in that slot. Those, those tight ends are going to play a bunch. What do you make of this? Because this is a matchup for Penn State where the margin for errors are so little and every offensive snap is going to seem extraordinarily valuable and you have to handle your personnel according to that. I think the one thing that was a little bit more telling when it comes to tightening up the rotation is against Maryland. We saw some of those depth guys a little bit earlier than we have in the past. We saw Omari Evans get first half snaps. We saw Caden Saunders in there uh, in the early going. I believe we also saw Malik McLean in the first half. And that's a little bit different than what we saw against Ohio State. And even before that, um, I, I guess even against Indiana too. Um, mm -hmm. it, it seemed like even in those non-conference games when they started to give us a little bit of preview of what we would see in the big games, we didn't see early opportunities for some of those players. And so... I think if they have some trust or the willingness to put guys out there that can add a little bit different dimension to what this offense can do. We know that Omari Evans has that speed. We know that Caden Saunders can do some things in terms of his speed and athleticism. And we saw Drew Aller take a deep shot to him at one point in the game. So I think that maybe I think it would be in Penn State in a good it could be in Penn State's best interest to mix and match a little bit more to try to get some more of these athletes onto the field because in this type of game, you need those types of players who have that game-changing speed. Someone like Caden Saunders who does have a little bit different level of athleticism in, in what he's capable of doing. You need to kind of find and search for these edges that you can get that could raise you or that could raise your offense to another level. So I mean, probably it's going to be the Cephas and Lambert Smith show against Michigan. But I do think the fact that we saw some of these guys get in early against Maryland and on top of that, really avoid mistakes. I, there weren't any of those real head scratching plays from these wide receivers, whether it's drops or Drew Aller airmailing air the ball to an area that no one is in. None of those really stick out in my head like we had uh, earlier this season and, and in other games. So. I think that if those players are, are showing things in practice and also if it appears that Drew Aller is on the same page as them, I think that maybe that gives Penn State a couple more options against Michigan 
But like you said, Tyler, I mean, reps are really going to be at a premium in this game. Snaps are really going to be at a premium and you can't really waste those in that type of game. So I do think that it'll be pretty tight, but I don't necessarily think it'll be as tight as it was in that early going against Ohio State. It's an ego driven position. Let's be honest. I mean, you got to have that mindset. And, and I think this is another thing where to not have this group deflated. And I think you could have probably categorized them as deflated for much of the football that we've seen in, in, in late October here against a couple of teams. And aside from that counter Lambert Smith's uh, splashy touchdown at the end of the Indiana matchup. So for them to get into the Michigan game, actually you know, hold their head up high a little bit and, and point to some production here and collectively feel like they're coming off one of their best efforts of the season is going to be important. But uh, if, if they come out and the production's not there again, people are just going to view that Maryland matchup in kind of a vacuum and say, well, it was nice that Saturday, but it didn't carry over when it counted most. So Dante Cephas is the guy who steps up big, but a lot more to work with in terms of uh, film and, and just evaluation. And by the way, might not take more than six, seven snaps in the Michigan game. If you're if you're one of those speedy guys, an Omari Evans or a Caden Saunders, you don't need to be on the field much to do damage. One catch for 30 yards, that could change the, the game. It could change field position. It could put you in field, field goal position, all sorts of stuff. Uh, for, for one of these dynamic receivers, we, we know the athleticism there. We know that there's some elite speed there. Can we see it shine through on a huge stage Saturday afternoon? That's key. And if you get that out of your receiver room, that's just a different element we haven't been able to see from that group. Strong performance in the trenches. We'll build on that a little bit later going through James Franklin's press conference. But I wanted to address the linebacker spot, Mark, because in a game where Curtis Jacobs like is dinged up early on, but he seemed to be fine in post game. You got you know, some footage and, and Brendan Cam doesn't seem to be any issues there, but we'll check with Curtis on, on practice Wednesday. But he didn't play uh, very much. And that meant we saw a ton of Dom DeLuca, who James Franklin can't say enough about. He had an interception. We saw some of Tony Rojas on further review, seven snaps for Tony Rojas on defense, and he had two takeaways. And, and then another guy who, who gained some cat traction out there, got into the backfield, made some plays, Keon Wiley. I thought overall a really strong performance for the linebacker unit, and James Franklin made it a point to say, as much as we're bigger and deeper in the trenches right now, and that's going to matter against the Wolverines, You know, they gave up 400 rushing yards last year in this matchup, he says the experience at linebacker is a big deal. And I would argue that so is this burgeoning group of younger backups who also bring something to the field. Yeah, maybe, you know, you never want to see somebody get banged up, but that could have been a silver lining sort of thing with Curtis Jacobs. He does seem like he did seem like he was OK. I asked him real quickly after the game and I don't know what else he was going to say. Uh, but he he met the media then afterward, too, which yeah. I don't think somebody does if they're if they're seriously injured. But, you know. Again, I hope the big dog stays healthy, but the fact that he wasn't there to get some of his other guys in. And then, listen, I mean, Rojas got in there late in the game. DeLuca, I, I don't know. The, the guy just goes out there and does some does good things. You know, uh, you know, Daniel at the Ohio State game immediately identified him getting matched up in a difficult uh, receiver setup, and they went right at him. But overall, I mean – he goes in there and he 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 knows what his job is. He gets it. He tends to be in the right place at the right time. So there are worst backups that you could have, and I hope that doesn't sound like a backhanded compliment because I think he's a real valuable uh, c component to this team, just in terms of showing younger players. If you again, if you keep your nose to that grindstone. And you just do what you need to do. You don't necessarily have to be the greatest athlete. You know, you could find yourself in some of these bigger games. 
But and Mark, is, Mark, is Mark stay, staying ready? Because I just want to make a point, and yeah. I'll let you continue. But DeLuca, the three preceding games before this, he was under 10 defensive snaps. He made a big impact play against Ohio State at the goal line there that you know you kind of forget about because right. how the rest of the game went. But he was under 10 defensive snaps. We saw a ton of him in September, early, early October perhaps. But it felt like he was tucked away. And then Curtis Jacobs goes down. All of a sudden, you need to turn to him, and there he is. And then also you're able to get uh... – uh, Rojas in there. I mean, yeah. late in the game, and you know, he causes a fumble. He picks off a pass. I mean, you, you can just see why everybody is so high on this guy. So to be able to get him in there, and then uh, we saw Keon Wiley coming out, and that's a guy we've barely seen all year. And you know, he's getting into the backfield. And, and I mean, and that's the that's the other thing about this is like I'm watching that game late, and they still have Tonga Vilo in there, and I'm like, what are they nuts? I mean, you have young, hungry players looking to get after it, and they don't care that this guy's been out there all game taking a beating. They want to go out there and, and, and get theirs as well. So I really liked that these guys came in and just weren't like, oh, okay, you know, we're just going to this. let Maryland run out the clock. No, they all got after it. I mean, DeLuca, Wiley, and Rojas all got after it. Having said all of that, I also thought, this was a game where Abdul Carter really started to show more of those flashes of the things that we know that Abdul Carter can do. You know, even though it's, you know, six tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss, one breakup, just the way he was flying around the field and hitting people. I think he was the guy who kind of spearheaded. I know a lot of people look at the D line and what they were doing, but when he's doing that, he makes like life really difficult. So I love what I saw from the younger guys, but, the the guy who really stood out to me, you know, duh, was but but we haven't seen it every game. We have not seen it every game, and I think this game coming up, this Michigan game, this is Abdul Carter's opportunity. That okay, maybe he hasn't been flashing every game, but now you're going to get your chance because you know Michigan's going to run the ball. You know they're not going to run away from you. He's going to have the opportunity to get after it and do some good things. We'll see if he's able, if he's up for it. And I think he will be. Uh, but he, again, he's a guy who you don't necessarily see it every single game. And I think once he gets that consistency, that's when he's going to be a great player. And Curtis Jacobs just seems to be a big game guy. I don't know what it is, whether it's the whiteout, the Rose Bowl, primetime matchups on the road at Ohio State where he had an individual defensive play we've been talking about for years to come had it not been overturned by a penalty and kind of changed the complexion of that matchup. And James Franklin made it a point to really point uh, to, to highlight the way J Curtis Jacobs is playing, and he just seems to show up on occasions like this. So you're right, Abdul Carter, if you're getting the best of Abdul Carter here in 2023 this Saturday – that's just a different dynamic for the defense. And before we move on to, to James Franklin's press conference and, and, and go through some of what stood out there, I wanted to mention one more defender here, Daquan Hardy. Um, he is, I think we talked about in preseason, how not enough people were, were listing him among the you know five to 10 most important defensive players uh, for this roster. No one played more snaps against Maryland. He started three of the last four games. We may have underrated him and, I, and telling everyone how underrated he was. He right now, and you throw in, by the way, what he can do as a punt returner, that didn't flash in College Park, but it feels like a ticking time bomb. And, and if that goes off against Michigan, talk about blowing up the, the potential circumstances of a matchup in Beaver Stadium if Daquan Hardy gets loses a punt returner. That aside as a special teamer, they're not taking him off the field much, Daniel, on defense. In fact, he got the start over Johnny Dixon. I had to double-check that, but this past Saturday, and the other couple starts he had received – uh, were because Kobe King was not in the starting lineup. They were going with three cornerbacks. So 
all of a sudden we're seeing pop up as a starting cornerback, and they love all three of these cornerbacks. And, and Terry Smith has been telling us for a while Daquan Hardy is going to go on to the NFL, but he is playing at an increasingly high level, and he's going from a nice little slot piece to a guy who's all over the football field, in the backfield, and making splash plays with the ball in his hands. I just pulled up my stat stat book too to, to double check what what the starting lineup was because we had seen Penn State start start some games in nickel with two linebackers and Hardy is that fifth defensive back in the slot but we saw him as the outside corner opposite Kalen King with three linebackers on the field which is something that we have not seen him or we haven't seen him start in that combination yet this year I, I think that we've seen Daquan Hardy really develop as a cornerback. I mean, he played the slot almost exclusively these past couple of years, and he comes back uh, in that Illinois game and is making plays on, on the outside. And, you know, that was something we hadn't seen before. He said that it was pretty natural to him that he feels he can play anywhere around the defense and, and make plays. And that's just really showed up this year. I, I think that it just felt like he's very, very dialed in. Um, he doesn't say too much. He, he doesn't offer too much insight in, into his mindset outside of basically he, he's there to play and he's going to try his hardest to do that and, and deliver. But he just seems like he's been so focused, so locked in since he's been back. I mean, he's you can just count so many impacts that he's made this year, whether interceptions, key tackles, pass breakups, punt returns. Uh, he's been doing so much. And I think that he's really emerged into a, a bit of a weapon for for Penn State. Uh, last year, he was just so quiet. And we saw in those multi-defensive back sets, it was Johnny Dixon who was working on the inside with three safeties and uh, Porter and King on the outside with no Daquan Hardy. But Hardy, I guess, has worked his way back, gotten himself back into that conversation. We know how Terry Smith feels about him. Uh, we know how James Franklin feels about him. And I think it's just been really cool to, to see Hardy reward that faith that the coaches have in him while also develop himself as a player. I, I think that you know, going beyond what him playing on the outside has done for the Penn State defense, I think that that's something that has done himself uh, some favors when you look at the next level. I think we've kind of talked about it with some guys like Tyler Warren and some some other players that at this time of year, you can start to project forward a little bit. I mean, that that's our job that we have to look at everything holistically and, and what could happen for some of these players. But I think Hardy fits into that conversation, too, as someone who might be changing what his perception is at the next level, showing that he can do a lot of different things and help a team in a lot of different ways. And I think that it's only going to help Daquan Hardy long term. In the short term, it's really going to help Penn State. Yeah, he will forever be five foot nine. There's no way around that. But you think about all the Power Five programs, including one there locally uh, for the Penn Hills product that did not offer him. Penn State put one out very late and, and got him on board. And what he has done with his career to this point in year five, he's a guy that has the COVID year. He could play a six college season if he chose to do that. But something tells me that whenever he does get the chance to move to the next level, he's going to make a lot of people look foolish for focusing on the five foot nine aspect of his game um, and, and, and ignoring so much of the rest. We'll be right back on the Lions 24 seven podcast. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Let's dive into the press conference because, as we mentioned, the first time uh, in a long time there's been a press conference in a, in a non-postseason uh, week, game week setup uh, for James Franklin and company. And let's dive into the fact that the Michigan storm that has been brewing all across college football now for a few weeks has landed on our doorstep here in Happy Valley. It has been brought to our our, our plate now, and we got to deal with it. And so James Franklin heard about it today. A couple questions about – uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh specifically, and then Michigan preparing for them specifically, knowing about the sign stealing investigation. How does that maybe impact game preparation here? Um, and James Franklin, I thought, came in with a game plan, and I thought he executed it, Mark, and how he wanted to handle any of those kind of questions. Yeah, I mean, he actually proactively mentioned Harbaugh in his opening statement about what a what a good coach he is. I don't know if he thought that was going to kind of deflect it from from other things coming around, but he knew it was going to come around, and and I think he understands that, or it was going going to come up, and uh, he did exactly what I think we all figured he was going to do, which was you know sidestep the questions and completely understandable. I mean, the last thing you want to do is interject yourself into this complete mess. And the last thing you want to do is give Michigan any further bulletin board material. There's no reason at all to get involved in doing that, that because even if sign stealing was an issue in last year's game, you know, you look at the final and, you know, I think even if you, your, your signs were stolen, they also kind of stole your lunch as well. So you just, you, you let that part of it go and there's no goods going to come out of it this year. And, you know, I would argue that, it's going to be worse for Penn State. And a as we tape this, as we record this on Monday afternoon, uh, we're still waiting to hear if anything's going to happen to Harbaugh. You know, there's still a lot of things out there. But I would argue that if something does happen, that actually works against Penn State. I think anything anything negative that comes down against Michigan this week, you want Michigan to be all that it can be when you're playing them if you're Penn State, don't you? Because this is this and Ohio State are your two games to establish yourself as a potential Big Ten and college football playoff uh, title contender. And if Michigan is not all that it can be, that doesn't work well. That's not a good thing for Penn State. So I think if you're a Penn State fan, as difficult as it may be, you just hope it, that it's status quo for Michigan and they're able to play this game. Now, I get that people, the alleged cheating, I get that people are, are, are upset about that and mad about that. But if you're just worried about how this is going to impact Penn State, 
you understand why James Franklin is keeping his yap shut. You know why the players are going to keep their yap shut. And again, if you're a Penn State fan, you want it to be status quo for Michigan because I think anything negative with Michigan, if you're able to beat that team, that's only going to take away from that victory. And Penn State needs as much oomph in every victory from this period, from, from this moment out to do whatever it could to scratch and claw to get to where it wants to be. Franklin was asked about that. You know, how are you communicating, the signaling, is preparation impacted? And he just says, you always have to have a plan. Uh, you've got to have this covered in how you communicate during uh, among your team during games. And he said, I'm going to leave it at that because less is more. And, and that's how he ended that answer. And then when he was asked directly about James Franklin, uh, I'm sorry, about Jim Harbaugh on the opposing sideline, he said, I'm focused on all the stuff I see on film. That's what we're focused on is all the stuff that we see on the film, their players, their scheme. When I say see on film, what we see on coaches copy or the stuff that's going on between the sidelines. So that was good. Uh, I liked, I so, liked yeah, that. I, I mean, James, James, James Franklin handled this about as smoothly as I think he possibly could. I had Michigan fans in my mentions where I'm sure they will be occupying between now and Saturday evening, but I had them actually, you know, either applauding what James said or just kind of discrediting it quietly. And they haven't been quiet about much. So he did not fan the flames. He did not draw anything back on him and then by turn his players, because there is a lot brewing right now. It's a bit of a storm. Daniel, what do you make of this? Because it really does feel like, I don't know what to compare it to. It feels like a story that's breaking on the other side of the country. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't look away. And all of a sudden you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on TV. Like I'm, I'm part of this whole scenario now. Here we are sitting in front of James Franklin, having to ask about him preparing to play Michigan and dealing with sign stealing. What do we make of this week about everything that's not going to involve the, the players and, and the, the 60 minutes of football, all the other stuff? I think going off what Mark said, I think that from one perspective, if you're Penn State, in terms of your postseason resume and everything like that, you need Michigan to be at full strength. You don't want to be in any sort of situation where someone can add an asterisk to what to what you've accomplished, because we know how subjective things can be when you get into the college football playoff rankings. But on the other hand, I think that you look at how Michigan as a team has reacted to this sort of things and it the way that Harbaugh and that staff has kind of molded things around that team this NCAA stuff has really galvanized them you look at what they were doing at the beginning of the year during Harbaugh's suspension where they did the missing man formation I believe in the season opener and JJ McCarthy was in a like it was like a win one for Harbaugh type thing and I think that if you're Penn State, you want things to you – know, there's enough motivation going into this game. You don't necessarily want anything to happen that can further galvanize this this Michigan team and and further put you know a little oomph into things for them. Um, so I, I think that's kind of a, a flip side too with keeping things at, at status quo. Um, but I thought that James Franklin handled it really well. Um, I thought that his answers a couple weeks ago – when he was asked about this, when things were starting to break a little bit and Penn State was sort of becoming directly involved in things with the reports about people in attendance and, and things like that. Um, and he talked about how at, at the Ohio State game, how they huddled a little bit more than usual. Um, I think that this is something that's definitely been on their radar. Um, who knows for how much longer it's been on their radar than it's been on the national radar. So like James Franklin said, I, I think that they're going to have a plan. I think that we're far enough into things now that um, 
you know, they have things adjusted and, and they're in a position where, um, you know, where they'll be ready and, and prepared. But I, I think that James Franklin, you know, you, you don't really accomplish anything by wading into these waters. I think if you're a coach like Ryan Walters at Purdue, you can afford to step into things a little bit more with some of his comments uh, on his radio show last week. And then after the game, uh, I think that when you're in that position where you're the real underdog and, and you're really punching up um, at someone and trying to motivate your team, uh, you're operating from a different perspective, different point of view. I was like, okay, that's a young coach really trying to, I think, put his, you know, put his flag down in the big 10 uh, going into an or I forget where that game was, but trying to get an upset. Um, but I think f- from where James Franklin is, I mean, he's operating from a, a real point of security um, and, confidence and you know he and he's also a lot more in the spotlight with more scrutiny than someone like ryan walters has so um you know i wasn't really expecting him to say anything coming into today i thought he handled it very well um i thought that his comment about harbaugh in terms of you know we're focused on what we're seeing on film in between you know on the field from these players um i did notice too in the pregame like you pointed out tyler or in his preamble when he brought up Jim Harbaugh, the number of players that he listed on both sides from those offensive players and the defensive players on Michigan is the most players that he's brought up in his opening statement all year long. So I think that he's trying to make it clear that these players have Penn State's attention. What Michigan is doing has their attention, and that's where their focus is staying. Upon his first mention of Michigan, uh, I don't know, about 40 seconds into to his opening statement, he referred to them as obviously one of the most highly ranked and regarded teams in the country. And that's kind of where he left it at in his description of Michigan. Very different approach from Ryan Walters last week, as you mentioned. Uh, we know James Franklin is a very passionate individual. We have read reports that there were some passionate conference calls among Big Ten coaches and Big Ten leadership. We do not know the details and who voiced their opinion. But on this particular Monday afternoon in Beaver Stadium, uh, James Franklin was not interested in talking about the hottest topic in college football. He'll get a couple more cracks at this in a public setting and, and, and see if he can get through them. He's got Wednesday after practice uh, with us, uh, uh, Wednesday evening, and then uh, his radio show on Thursday. And uh, from that point forward, he should be in the clear. But uh, you know, we'll see. It's, it's a longer week ahead. It started on a Monday. But James Franklin, I think, setting the tone very clearly with how he intends to handle the Michigan saga, which – at any moment, we get a breaking news that shakes this entire conversation up. Beyond that, Mark, um, important details here. Hopeful to get Amin Vanover and Chop Robinson back uh, on the defensive end. Uh, Amin Vanover and Chop Robinson both exited early against Ohio State. Neither of them played the last couple of weeks. Both of them were down in College Park. And uh, it, it seems like they're going to be in a spot to, to be at the practice, I think, on Wednesday. We haven't seen Chop the last couple of Wednesdays. I, I'd be surprised if that held up through this week. And so then you're focused on Saturday morning pregame. How much can they accomplish and, and what can they prove to the staff about playing? But this is a defense that already showcased a lot of, of depth up front last week. We talked about the linebackers coming along to add Robinson, to add Amin Vanover is a very hot, highly thought of backup at the defensive end spot for this particular matchup where last year, 400 plus rushing yards. This year, Penn State averaging about 60 yards on the ground against them. That's the best in the Big Ten. They've proven it. Match by match, but by match up to this point, really. But this is the big one, Mark. What do you make of the reinforcements that they may be able to add and, and how they measure up against Michigan versus 2022? 
Yeah, I think it went kind of under the radar, but I thought one of the fascinating things that James Franklin said after the Maryland game was the fact that uh, part of the reason they brought Chop along was as part of his rehab, Mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty interesting to see if he could travel. Now, obviously, traveling isn't going to be an issue uh, this week, but I think you know that to me is signaling that they want to do everything they possibly can to get him back on the field and healthy. You know, at, at, back on the field being healthy. Uh, you know, with, with, within the parameters of what the doctors allow, but to be able to bring him back and it sure looked like a mean Vanover could have played last week, and I guess they, they they didn't think they really needed him. But both of those guys, I mean, they're both guys who when they go into that prowler package and I'm not sure how much they'll have to do it, but if they do go into that prowler package, both of them, if they play three D ends are capable of playing inside and, and giving uh, opposing offensive lines, uh, real issues, but sort of going back to what we said about Curtis Jacobs in silver linings. I mean, Jameel Lyons, the, the snaps that he was able to get Zariah Fisher, what we've seen of him, Deny Dennis Sutton sure looks like he's elevated his his game even further. And Adisa Isaac's been good all year. Uh, so I just think that the depth that they have there at this point at defensive end, if you're able to bring these two guys back in, uh, what they'll be able to do in terms of getting after the quarterback, and both of those guys are good against the run as well, I think will be very important. Uh, you know, along with what you would anticipate would be a better overall performance from the defensive tackles than we saw last year, where I think they were maybe a little bit too too uh, reliant on P.J. Mustafer. And I think this year we're seeing what their kind of game plan is. You know, you don't necessarily have a bunch of 340-pounders, but you have a bunch of 285, 290, you know, 300, 305, right in that area. You have a bunch of those guys that you could cycle in there in the middle of that defense. And I think they're much better equipped. And that's why I asked Franklin about that. You know, he talked a lot about gap accountability and how important that is. And I agree with that, but I think the depth is something that they just didn't have last year. And we've seen them use that all season long, you know, even when some guys were bumped up and and to go that deep uh, where you're having all these guys getting a bunch of different snaps I think is going to be important in this game against a team that you know after what they did last year is going to feel it's going to be able to run the ball against you no matter what your stats are this year. Speaking of depth, just my final note from from James Franklin's press conference today, he talked about kind of teased a little bit about some usage from freshmen here down the stretch because now they're to the point where they don't have to worry about burning a lot of red shirts. Uh, I don't think this is the matchup we're going to see them, you know, sprinkle in freshmen here and there, but they've got a few more here. Uh, and 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 Michigan State's reeling uh, at the end of your schedule, and, and Rutgers comes to town. They're bull eligible, but it's still a matchup that you've been able to historically dominate. And and not, not just Jamil Lyons now that they they want to. You know, he talked about finding the value and burning that red shirt. Now that it's burned, they want to. Make sure they continue to find the value in Jamil Lyons getting action at defensive end and getting that usage. But uh, some of the offensive linemen, he specifically talked about Javen Williams, Anthony Donka. Both of those guys have played in a couple games. Uh, he, he talked about Kavion Keys specifically, a guy who's chomping at the bit to play. They feel like he could play if called upon. 
the freshman linebacker. And you can really start to work your way through this group. Maybe we'll even see one of those freshman running backs pop up on the field. But something else to talk about, and because I thought James Franklin really went out of his way. And you can understand why he would. He's got a lot of young talent on that roster that hasn't played much, and it's getting late in the season, and they're maybe wondering if that's going to happen. And you maybe wonder – you can understand why James Franklin would want to put out that, that out there publicly. We'll find out if it comes to fruition on the field, not just this Saturday, but in the remaining Big Ten matchups and then bowl prep always so big. This is college football, folks. I mean, the, you start to think about the draft. You start to think about the younger players in your roster. We're in November, and, and it's just the, those are the storylines that start to pop up. Uh, the big something else that popped up toward the end of Maryland game week, uh, Daniel, was the 2024 uh, schedule. The Big Ten revealed that, and it's going to be a very different circumstance across the conference. Major expansion, coast to coast. Uh, obviously, you're getting rid of the divisional aspect, so that shake things up. I'll give the schedule really quick uh, for our listeners out there. I'll turn it over to you, Daniel, because you had a great uh, piece for our VIP readers, just breaking down what you thought really stood out here. August 31st, they open at West Virginia. Uh, they uh, then are home against uh, Bowling Green on September 7th, followed by an early bye week. September 21st, home against Kent State. September 28th, they open Big Ten action against Illinois and Beaver Stadium. Then UCLA visits Beaver Stadium on October 5th. October 12th, they go out to California and face USC. They have a second bye week, October 19th. Then they're at Wisconsin coming off the bye home against Ohio State on November 2nd, home against Washington, another team that's inside the top five right now, on November 9th, at Purdue, November 16th, at Minnesota, November 23rd, and then they finish home against the Maryland Terrapins. I know that was a lot, but, man, it's just strange. There's some familiar names missing, and there's certainly some wild new names that are listed on that rundown. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big departure from what we've seen the past couple of years when you factor in that you have – three of the new schools, three of the the West Coast schools on your schedule, and then you have two Big Ten West schools that you don't see every year in that final stretch. Three Big Ten West schools, if you include Wisconsin in there too, and Illinois. So it's not a lot of usual suspects, I guess, which from one perspective, I think that you'd like to have that variety. Uh, This is kind of what you wanted when you add these schools is that you want to actually see them. You don't want to be in a situation like the SEC had when it added Texas A&M and Mizzou. And it was like schools seeing each other twice in over 12 years, you know, something along those lines. But I think looking at the schedule, the one caveat that I tried to add to everything I wrote about it is that we know how much can change over the course of a year in college football. Uh, And so you look at some of these teams and where they're ranked now and how things look right now that can change by the time we get to next year. Uh, Washington, Michael Penix Jr., I believe is out of eligibility uh, and he's played his way. We're pretty sure. (laughs) That's the caveat that that everything with eligibility, but he's played himself into the NFL conversation. They're losing stuff from their defense. Their wider, some of their wide receivers are probably going to the NFL. Uh, USC is going to lose, is probably going to lose Caleb Williams after this year. Uh, Lincoln Riley finally made a change at defensive coordinator yesterday. Uh, who knows where Lincoln Riley could even be? You know, there's just so much that in college football is just year to year right now, especially, and I didn't even talk about the transfer portal when doing that. So um, I think that there was a lot of chatter about how tough the schedule looked, but you look at Penn State's schedule this year and it was pretty tough. Um, you look at that five game stretch and it's tough, but 
I think that is just kind of par for the course. I mean, you, you think about the years when Michigan State was also up in addition to Michigan and Ohio State. You know, those Big Ten schedules weren't easy for Penn State. So uh, to me, it didn't really surprise me so much. I do think that that five-game stretch uh, from, Oct- from UCLA through Washington, that's going to define your season. And then to have to turn around and go to Purdue and Minnesota um, after that in November, that's also going to be pretty tough. But it's going to be the Big Ten more or less is going to be tough for everyone. And then you factor in an expanded playoff to that so you can afford to drop two games and still be in the conversation for the postseason. Um, I think that factoring all that together, I just kind of felt like it's a it's a fun schedule. Um, it's something different. You're going to see new teams in Beaver Stadium. You're going to see Penn State in at least one new location. You're going to see some fun players, some good players. And on top of it, that schedule puts Penn State in a position to, if they you know, avoid their stumbles and take care of their business, they're definitely going to be in conversation for the expanded college football playoff. And I think that that's what where you kind of land on. You want to win. You want to compete for a national championship. You want to put yourself in position to compete for a national championship. You don't necessarily want it to be super easy sometimes. Um, and so I think that Penn State, by the time we get to you know, late November 2024, they're going to be in the conversation. And the way that we're going to be talking about the schedule could be, okay, this really tested them. They took their lumps, but they're still going to have a chance. Yeah, the 10-2 and two or 11-2 and two finish in early December has, has uh, always meant you're on the outside looking in, essentially, for, for, for the conversation of chasing championships. Now you get to 10-2 and two or 11-2 and two out of the Big Ten, you're in. I mean, there's, there's no question about it because you have, will have played a bunch of really difficult opponents. And this consolidation of powerful programs, it, you're right, Daniel, everybody's got it. Like, everybody in the Big Ten, you look at the schedule, you're like, well, that's a tough game, that's a tough game, that's a tough game. That's the way it's going. I mean, the SEC's loading up, the Big Ten's loading up. And the beautiful thing about it is as difficult as it is, if you can find success in this conference, you're going to be in the playoff. Like you don't have to make your case. You don't have to have this wishy-washy situation with a three-way tiebreaker in your division. Like if you handle your business and and every season, you know, you can get there with those 10 wins in the regular season. Maybe there's a, a, a year where there's a debate there, but if Penn state to me goes 10 and two from here on out, they got a chance to go win a national championship. And the cool part about this is, You've got a trip to, to Morgantown, West Virginia, which is one of the, the more interesting co- college venues in all sports. You've got a trip out to Hollywood to take on the, the, you know, the, the USC Trojans, who you took on in the Rose Bowl not too long ago. And then you've got this potential to either go on the road to take your pick across the country or have pick your team across the country, come to Beaver Stadium for a first-round playoff game. I don't care what people say. College football is about to get a lot more fun, and we're in a really good – driver's seat for it here covering a big 10 program and one of the premier ones so we'll have fun covering the team 2024 though mark what do you make of it i mean you you've you know the 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 big 10 schedule like the back of your hand whenever when any of us have questions about opposing stadiums or opposing travel we go to mark brennan it gets shaken up a little bit next year what are you most excited about does get shaken up daniel what new location are you talking about daniel I, I said Los Angeles is, I mean, it, it's not a new I, location for me. I've covered Penn State at USC at the Coliseum. That's what I'm getting. There you at. Go. I, I covered games there. <laughs> I've covered games in Morgantown. That's how old I am. No, in all seriousness, it is, it is going to be, uh, it is going to be fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I am. You know, I'm saying that now when Penn State has to go to USC and then gets a buy and then has to go to Wisconsin, 
you know, I almost wish that those games were back to back so we could just fly from L.A. to to Madison and, and just spend a, spend a, spend a week there. And then the other thing that kind of jumps out at me, and it's it's just hitting me now. You know, after all the griping that Penn State did about having to to start Big Ten seasons on the road. Okay, you 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 want it? You don't want to start on the road? Well, when October gets here, we're going to send you to USC and then a bye week, and then send you to Wisconsin, and then in mid-November we're going to send you to Purdue and then Minnesota on back-to-back weeks. Now, there, take that. Wouldn't you have rather just opened uh, against one of those teams on the road again? So, but it, it's it's going to be fun. I agree with you, Tyler. I mean, I don't necessarily think that for traditionalists, and I think I'm a traditionalist. I don't think this is the greatest thing for college football, but it is what it is. So why not just embrace it and have fun with it? And and you're exactly right. I mean, the fact that you're going to, you're going to go through this schedule. And if you get to 10 wins, you're, you're going to have proven yourself, you know, no matter how, how these teams change. I mean, you're going to encounter very, very good teams along the way. And I think it's just going to be a heck of a lot of fun. And to get back to, to, uh, the Coliseum for the first time since the early nineties before Daniel was probably born, I think is going to be, is going to, I, be I think I was too. I there think I was too when last time Penn state was there. I was thinking they might do the Penn state beat a favor and send everybody out to Los Angeles, you know, and, and, and maybe the week before Thanksgiving as, as we're getting into colder temps, but you know, the mid October will work, but those are <laughs> tricky trips in November, Mark. I mean, uh, that Purdue yeah. trip, that Minnesota trip, I, I was out there with you in Minneapolis a, a few years ago. I'm not sure if you've been out there, Daniel, but that's a, it's an interesting road environment when they've got things working. You guys were both out in Purdue last year in the opener, and uh, either of those matchups are, are, are a little tricky in their own. So to have them in consecutive weeks there before you finish off against Maryland, we'll figure it out. There's a long way to go in this season before we even get to, to talking about 2024, but there's the schedule for you. There's a little bit of context on the schedule. And speaking of schedules, it opens today for Big Ten bas- for uh, Penn State basketball. Uh, not in Big Ten play just yet, but Delaware State comes to the BJC. Uh, coverage at, at lines247.com. Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon will be in the building. And Daniel, it's it's showtime now. It's it's a completely new look team in so many ways. There's a few familiar faces, but very hardly any of them. And that applies to the staff, that applies to the roster, and of course, a new head coach. You got to see them in some early exhibition matchups uh, not too long ago. I think it was just about 10 days ago or so for preseason work. Uh, what are you most curious about and, and going into this matchup? And generally, what do we need to know about this game against Delaware State? I'm most interested to see if I can remember who all the transfers are. I'm kidding. That's a bad joke. But uh, no, I I think I'm just mostly curious to see how this all fits together, what the chemistry looks like, and what kind of identity this team is going to have. I I know Mike Rhodes comes in with the the VCU identity, the havoc, uh, using these long athletes to, to make different things happen and try to force teams into mistakes and pushing the pace. So does that does that play in the big 10? Does he bring that with him? I think he made a comment after the Robert Morris exhibition about the press, about kind of deploying it as needed um, at different spots. Uh, And he said that was something that in that game gave Penn state a boost. So are they going to press for 40 minutes? What, what is this going to look like? How are they going to deploy different things? What is ACE Baldwin going to look like uh, in the big 10? You know, we're exactly a month away from Big Ten play opening. Uh, Penn State goes down to Maryland on 
uh, December 6th and then plays Ohio State three days later at the BJC for those two kind of teaser Big Ten games um, in in December before the schedule starts in earnest in January. But uh, I think Penn State just has a lot to learn about themselves. We have a lot to learn about them. Um, And I think I'm just curious to see what this actually looks like with this new coaching staff, with all these transfers, with the guys coming back. How are these pieces going to fit together? Mark, this team got to the you know the tournament last year, made that final run, broke through, won a game, got everybody excited, and then of course everything that everyone felt comfortable or that they could know about the team kind of disappears, and they've got to relearn things here. What do you think are going to be some calling cards if you had to guess about this new era for Penn State basketball, especially if things go according to plan for them? Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to look a lot different. I mean, there are different ways to win in college basketball, and they're not going to. This is a, this is going to be uh, not what Micah Shrewsbury <laughs> brought to the table, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Different coaches win in different ways, but uh, I think the things you're going to look at are athleticism and length. And by length, I just don't mean the, the the post players. I mean, I look at guys like Nick Kern, I look at Puff Johnson, I look at Zach Hicks, uh, you know, Demarco Dunn. You know, these guys are all you know, long, have long arms, and 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 can get after it, and I think you will see them pressing when they need to press. And, you know, you're going to see more dunks, more athleticism, probably uh, more steals, uh, forcing the tempo, those sorts of things. So I think it's going to be fun to watch. How quickly can it all come together, though? I think that's a realistic question. When you have 10 new players, nine transfers, one true freshman from overseas, you know, how quickly can all this come together? I think the key guy, obviously, I don't think, I know. I mean, the key guy is Ace Baldwin. And to have him as sort of your team captain, a point guard, and a leader, I think he's just gigantic because he comes from VCU. He played under Rhodes. He's Rhodes's guy, and he could be that kind of conduit from the coaching staff to the rest of the players. So I think the simple fact that you have him is going to put this team a little bit further ahead of where it may have been. But is that going to be quite enough? you know, once you get into the Big Ten. And I'm and I'm just not sure. I mean, and that's why I think these early season games, these quote unquote preseason games, we, we don't they're not they're non-conference games, not preseason. That's a better way of putting it. Uh, I think are going to be a lot of fun to watch because we're going to start to understand what the identity is and how well all these disparate parts are able to mesh. Being able to do the overseas trip uh was obviously good for them. But again, you, there's no substitute you know, when they were playing whatever, the Jamaican national team or where, where were they, Daniel? With the where They're down in the Bahamas yeah, playing the a, a local team. team and the team from Canada. They didn't even yeah. get the national team. So Yeah, so you were playing. The, you, you can't really judge that. So are you going to be able to judge it against Delaware State? You know, maybe not because this is a team that won six games last year and has struggled the last three or four years. But at least you're going to see kind of what this team's all about. And then as the, the the non-con goes along with Lehigh and some other programs, I think it's going to be fun to see just how this team kind of comes together. A couple home games this week, Delaware State, Lehigh, a couple home games. Then next week, St. Francis uh, of, of Pennsylvania and Moorhead State. And then things get interesting. Thanksgiving week, 
uh, with the ESPN events uh, invitational. Uh, they'll take on Texas A&M and then the winner uh, or take on either Butler or FAU, depending on, on how they fare against Texas A&M and how things work out elsewhere down there. But uh, some, some entertaining stuff coming in a few weeks before we get too far ahead of ourselves and, 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 and all that. I want to just bring back it. The, it's not a complete roster reboot. There's a couple guys here that elected to stick around. Uh, many of the, the players who could have done that left and went to different campuses. Many of them are with the former coach. Uh, but, but Daniel, when you think about the guys who stuck around here and their potential impact on the team, we've, we've addressed Ace Baldwin. We've talked about some of the other transfer pieces that have been picked up here. But what about those guys? The, 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 and, and how can they build on their decisions? Kanye Clary, I think, made an early impact on Mike Rhodes. Uh, he was named the team captain along with Ace Baldwin and, and Puff Johnson, the North Carolina transfer. I, I think that if Clary can take a step forward, that gives Penn State a reliable option behind Ace Baldwin. Uh, in the Robert Morris exhibition, we saw them start together. And then from there, they were kind of staggered so that one of them was on the court at all times. Uh, Clary's small. Uh, he, you look at the difference between how he finishes around the around the basket and how Baldwin finishes around the basket. And you see the difference between a veteran uh, who's really been through it at this point in his career and a younger player who's still trying to, to learn some different things. So I think if Clary can figure some things out, take a step forward, I think that that benefits Penn State a lot. Uh, Jameel Brown is someone that I've been really high on since the end of last year. Uh, he didn't play much last year, but there wasn't really room for him to play. Penn State had so many shooters that they weren't going to take off the court, like Andrew Funk, uh, like a Miles Dredd at certain points. Um, you know, there really wasn't a spot for Jameel Brown to play, given the backcourt makeup. Um, so I, I think that he has the potential to play his way in the more playing time. He just has such a smooth stroke. You watch him in warmups and in practice, and he just makes it look so easy. And I think he's the type of guy where early in the year, if he can see a couple go down uh, from the outside, that could really put him on a good trajectory. Um, so he's someone I'm pretty high on. I think I've talked about him as a potential breakout guy at certain points this offseason. Uh, and then Demetrius Lilly, he's someone who has just done such a good job of transforming his body. You know, he's kind of a poster child for the uh, the wonders of strength and conditioning up front or for in a college program. I think he was at 260 as a freshman, 245 right now, looks skinny, runs well, um, and there is going to be playing time to fight for with Kudus Wahab and, and Favor Iray. So uh, I think how Lily fits in will be interesting to watch. But I think getting these three guys back, having them stick around, you, know, you had seven players from last year's team who could have had the opportunity to come back Um I guess eight, including Seth Lundy, if he took his COVID year, uh, but three decided to come back. And these three guys, I think, you know, played a big role in helping new players assimilate. And we'll see what this means long term for Penn State. Yeah, the, the, they became veterans very fast here in Happy Valley. That's that's the nature of the beast with roster turnover like that. Uh, let's finish here before we say goodbye. Anything either of you in the prediction realm, whether it's individual bold predictions season overall predictions you want to put on record here on the podcast before the season tips off i'll go i will <laughs> right. say that uh my man ace baldwin i'm gonna say will be a second team all big 10 pick i look around the big 10 and i don't see a lot of guys who are just going to dominate those type of teams and i think what he's going to be able to do in terms of scoring assist defense coaches love that stuff 
And I think maybe he won't be the, a media pick, but I think coaches are going to love what this guy brings to the table. And he's going to eke his way up there into second team, all big 10 honors. All right. Daniel, I, anything for us? I, I put this in my, uh, I, I probably should have done a post explaining what I submitted to our 24 seven sports, big, big 10 panel uh, prediction, but I predicted Penn state to finish in 10th place um, in the big 10. I know that that doesn't seem like, you know, a really high, you know, high goals or something like that, but this is just a, it's a pretty tough conference. Uh, year in and year out. But I do think that with this talent and with kind of the the different pieces they've put together, I think that this is a team that could really hit its stride in the second half of Big Ten play and be contention to get off of that first day um, of the Big Ten tournament. I think that if you're off the that first day of the Big Ten tournament, you're on the NCAA tournament bubble. And like we saw last year with Penn State, you get to Chicago or Minneapolis or Indianapolis or wherever the Big Ten tournament's going to be this year, you can win a couple games. You can make things happen. Uh, you can really change how your season looks. So I think that Penn State will get off that, uh, get off the first day of the Big Ten tournament. I don't know if they'll make the NCAA tournament, but I think they'll be in position to be on the bubble in the conversation uh, by the time March rolls around. We're talking about the Big Ten tournament already. Oh my God, my! (laughs) Like we were just there. Oh my God, it's 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 already. We're talking about it. Bring bring as many clothes as you can. You never know what's going to happen. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I'm going to pack for eight days next time. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're officially in in the coverage on two separate seasons now, full time here at Lions 24/7. Coverage coming your way Monday night from the season open for basketball, and then all week as we gear up for a showdown in Beaver Stadium, noon kickoff between Michigan and Penn State. Uh, I'm back on Tuesday. These guys are going to take a little bit of time off. We'll have them back on the episode Thursday uh, to, to take a look forward and what we learned from the practice field and everything else that comes our way from conversations with coaches and players in these next few days. But, fellas, uh, have fun at the BJC tonight and uh, look forward to, to your coverage of basketball season all the way through. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks. All right, good stuff from Mark and Daniel. We'll wrap things up there. We're back again tomorrow with another episode of this podcast. We'll put focus on recruiting. There's some things to catch up on uh, with Tyler Calvaruso, of course, with a major recruiting opportunity coming up, a showcase event in Beaver Stadium. We'll talk about the confirmed visitors that will be in the building and they can make an impact from a recruiting standpoint. And we'll also break down some of the other happenings on the recruiting trail. And we'll get a fresh look from Ann Arbor at the Wolverines, unbeaten in regular season action since October 2021. We'll learn more about what they're bringing to Beaver Stadium and how they're handling all the noise surrounding that sign-stealing investigation, which is heating up hour by hour, moment by moment, it seems. For now, stepping aside, on behalf of everyone at the Lions 24-7 community, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.